Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Anyang Hasio, fellow ridiculous historians, welcome to the show. That is my um, poorly pronounced attempt at saying hello in Korean, or one version of hello. Well, hello to you, Ben. Um, I, my name is Noel. Hello to you, Noel. My name is Ben. Yeah, look at that. It checks out. And of course, we're joined as always with our super producer, Casey Pegram. You know, Ben, there's one thing we did not learn how to say in Korean. Well, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things we didn't learn how to say in Korean, but there's, one of them... Yeah. Is Tootsie Roll, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it, there was one of those phonetic uh, pronunciations. Um, your your girlfriend showed me the other night when we were hanging out a uh, a thing that she took back from your trip to Korea that had a phonetic pronunciation of the word lighter, and it was just three characters, and it was La Ha Tour, I believe. Which is nonsense in Korean. Nonsense in Korean. So I'm wondering if maybe there's a similar thing for Tootsie Roll. So why are we saying hello in Korean today? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do my homework. Can you help me out? <laughs> you know, surely. Well, we were talking about, you know, the topic is related to Korea and, mm-hmm. and a particular conflict that took place in Korea that I was woefully uh, undereducated about. And I know, Ben, that you probably were more educated about this particular situation than me. So why don't you give us maybe your background and why this might be the case? Right. Noel, you and I, before we went into this episode, I think we both knew a little bit about the conflict called the Korean War mm-hmm. here in the States. Yeah, just mainly from watching reruns of MASH. <laughs> is, is, Ma- is MASH Korean War? Mm-hmm. I th- Really? I am not a mash bert. Yeah. People always think it's about Vietnam because it was on during Vietnam, mm-hmm. but, but it is, in fact, about the Korean War, even though it's kind of, quote-unquote, also about Vietnam. Casey on the case. That's right. So thanks for teaching me about MASH, guys. I hear it's a great show. I've just never seen it. Did you ever watch it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch it a ton, but I watched it enough to, to learn a little bit about the Korean War. Um, and also to know that the theme song of MASH actually has lyrics in the movie. Oh, yeah. And it's a it's a very sad song. Yes. Suicide is painless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a wonderful song. It's though. beautiful. It's sad. Yeah, beautiful is probably a better word there. So the Korean War 
which is also called the uh, Liberation War in some places, was waged between 1950 uh, to 1953, June 1950 to July 1953, a war between what we now call the DPRK or North Korea and the ROK or South Korea, and it was a proxy war because there was support on the North Korean side from Russia, and there was support on the South Korean side from the U.S. It's because it was basically the imperial spoils of the uh, the Second World War where Japan, you know, lost their territory, which was Korea, mm. and so the U.S. and Russia kind of had to split it up between themselves. So the U.S. reluctantly were sort of in charge of South Korea, and Russia, communist Russia, was in charge of North Korea. And so it created this divide um, between communism and democracy. Right, yes. This is a very much a Cold War-esque conflict. I think it's considered the first step that led to the Cold War, right? Yeah, yeah. In some ways it is, because this was still, this is what we would call a hot war, because there were actually weapons of war being waged, but it very much was a a symptom of this ideological conflict that would later determine so much of geopolitics for decades. And we could get, I don't know if we should get too far in the weeds on that one, because this is kind of the backdrop for our story. But I guess we should point out this war in a very real way never actually ended. And if you go to Korea today, you will, if you visit the capital city, Seoul, you are very close to the demilitarized zone, or DMZ. Didn't you do that thing, Ben? Yes. Yeah, I did. I went recently uh, to the Republic of Korea and then visited the DMZ, which is a uh, a weird place. It was a weird place, but it's a, it's a physical, tangible reminder uh, that this, this war, although it may sound like it was ancient in the 1950s and stuff, it still affects the people on the peninsula mm -hmm. and in the larger region. I guess we didn't really fully get into what the conflict was. We talked about how um, the U.S. and Russia inherited Korea from Japan, mm -hmm. but the Russian-backed, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. North Korea actually invaded South Korea. And that's what kicked off this big ideological battle because yeah. the U.S., as opposed to, you know, practicing appeasement or something like that, because this wasn't really, they didn't really even want South Korea. It was just something they were kind of like saddled with because of, you know, the outcome of World War II. Mm -hmm. And they looked at this as not just an invasion into something that they you know, were responsible for. They looked at it as the potential match that would light the world on fire with communism. Right. Yeah. So this Cold War conflict results in Korea being split into two separate states on the peninsula. But the problem is both of those governments consider themselves the sole legitimate government of the entire place. So they look at the other government not as an equal separate state. They look at it as this regime that should be toppled as soon as possible. And that was with under Kim Il-sung, right? Right. Kim Il-sung, the first supreme leader of North Korea from its establishment in 1948. The conflict, when it occurs, becomes a war of attrition. At first, North Korea is whipping the South Korean forces, like all the way down to Busan, and Seoul, over the course of the conflict, changes hands multiple times. Eventually, when the fighting actually ends and they sign an armistice, they make this DMZ line 
along the 30th parallel, but they never signed a peace treaty. So even today, as we record this, technically the two nations are still at war, even after the fall of the USSR. And Ben, what was it like to visit, to be in that DMZ zone? Didn't you have to watch some kind of propaganda video? Yeah. That also explained how it was uh, an amazing bird sanctuary? Yep, it's the only part of the tour I was not, uh, like, I didn't have the option of skipping. So you see a couple of different places. You see an observatory tower. You see the train station that could ship people or transport people directly to the capital of North Korea. And you go down a very steep tunnel, uh, an invasion tunnel. Uh, there, there are three or four that are discovered, but there are multiple other ones suspected to exist. And you see how the tunnel was constructed through the DMZ. And it's not a comfortable walk, but estimates say they could carry 30,000 plus people through there to invade Seoul. But the one part of the tour you cannot skip is, or at least our tour guide told us we couldn't, is after you get out of the tunnel, which again is a very, very steep walk, you have to watch about an eight to 10 minute propaganda film from the South Korean side, the ROK side, about how great the DMZ is for migratory birds and biodiversity, which is actually, that's true. And, uh, you know, it's got the whole nine of every propaganda movie you can imagine. You can see that like the hands from opposite sides of the screen clasping each other, like that meme that's so popular nowadays. And it's strange because I was expecting propaganda from the North Korean side, but I was surprised how much exists on the South Korean side. There's still very much a conflict. And today's episode takes us back to when that was a hot war, not just an armistice. So, Noel, our story today concerns those two things we, we mentioned. We, we talked a little bit about Korea, but we teased at the top of the show Tootsie Rolls. And this is something where I wanted to check on our mutual Americanisms. I, I feel like for all three of us, Casey, you, and myself, uh, Tootsie Rolls seem like a very well-known thing, right? Are they a U.S. famous candy or a world famous candy? You know, um, that's a good question, Ben. I don't know. Well, just to be safe, we, we can give the, the quick and dirty Tootsie Rolls were invented by a guy named Leo Hirschfield, who sold them out of a Brooklyn candy shop before he sold the idea to a group called Stern and Salberg Co. And that, that could actually be an episode unto itself, because yeah. there's a really intense kind of tragic ending to that story. And there is a lot of hot debate as to whether he invented the candy and then sold it to them, or if it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. He also um, invented or he had several patents for um, different candy-making equipment, but he also, this is probably my favorite name of any product ever. And um, I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, he invented a, a type of gelatin <laughs> that was pre-Jello called Bromangelon. Bromangelon, which I think would be great on a T-shirt and a great nickname for <laughs> yeah. one of those obnoxious nicknames like yeah. Brosive. Yeah, exactly, Bromangelon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. But anyway, uh, point being, if you mm. don't know what a Tootsie Roll is, um, where have you been? They're not that good. They get stuck in your teeth. I I'm not a huge fan, but they are very tightly wrapped in these little, you know, Ooh. with the ends and the little uh, bow ends on the side. You can also get them in like a stick form, you know, they're, yeah. they're much larger. And they're kind of the candy that you got at Halloween that you would rather have gotten something else. For me, they were acceptable. They were passable Halloween candies. Uh, anything was better than that orange and black wax paper taffy. Do you guys remember that? Casey is Casey is nodding. He is so tired of that. 
Yeah, it's gross. It's like the last stuff you eat, and you do eat it, but it's the last thing you eat, and you feel gross afterwards. And that's been uh, Casey on the Case Part 2. <laughs> We're doing them in, in installments now, which is important, because when you take them all together, mm-hmm. it creates a whole picture. And we're going to syndicate these onto other shows. We're just not going to tell the other shows. Casey will pop in, and, and hopefully it'll make sense. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man... How have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> You're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
But Tootsie Rolls, which, you know, which I think you're right, Noel, are a story all their own. Tootsie Rolls were also valuable, not just as Halloween candy, but as World War II rations, because just like you said, you know how they're individually wrapped. They have a very high temperature tolerance. It's pretty much like chocolate wax almost. Mm -hmm. And they were seen by Uncle Sam as a source of quick energy because they also would remain edible for a long period of time. And when you say energy, we're just basically talking like sugar, right? I mean, yeah. they're just full of sugar. There's no other nutritional value in Tootsie Rolls. No, no, they're not part of a balanced diet. But yeah, it was a burst of energy kind of thing. And there are stories you would find about how Tootsie Rolls helped soldiers, like how there was actually some fire behind the smoke. One story uh, is of a pilot whose plane was shot down over the Sahara desert and survived for three days just on Tootsie Rolls. But today's story is uh, much less anecdotal, much more provable, and it's about a group of Marines who were in a particular battle in the Korean War. Yeah, that battle was called the Battle of Chosen Reservoir. Um, Chosen, which is also called Changjin. Mm -hmm. um, this was one of the first campaigns of the Korean War. It was called the Chinese People's Volunteer Army. Mm -hmm. um, and they got involved because they felt like American troops coming in to um, North Korea was in some way encroaching on their territory. And mm -hmm. it was a little foggy as to why that was, because it didn't seem like they necessarily had an axe to grind in this particular war. And yet they made their troops available to help the, the North Koreans. Yeah. So Chinese sources refer to this battle as the eastern part of the second phase offensive. Um, they entered the conflict to infiltrate, as you said, part of North Korea. We know that they were under the command of Song Shilun, who had been ordered by Mao Zedong to destroy the United Nations forces. We have to keep in mind that at the time, this was the United Nations was a part of this conflict. Uh, there were, I think, 30,000 United Nations troops here and about 120,000 Chinese troops who were, who were essentially attempting to eradicate the United Nations. But, Noel, there's an article you found that goes into a little bit more detail about this, correct? Yeah, it's true. It's from a site called uh, inquiriesjournal.com, um, and it's an article written by Bang Ming Tzu uh, for the Journal of Interstate Affairs, um, and it was reposted on this Inquiries Journal site. Um, and it basically says that historians believe that the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, was really making preparations in Taiwan to unify China because it had been fractured. Its economy was in shambles because of World War II. And it, it, most scholars agree that the reason they got involved in this North Korean conflict was because they looked at the potential of an American invasion of their mm -hmm. country as being on the table if they successfully invaded North Korea and did this, you know, uh, were able to stem the tide of communism, as it were. Yeah, the communist-capitalist confrontation. To a lot of the leadership of China at the time, this was seen as inevitable. And China and the U.S. were seen as natural enemies by the leadership of China at that time, and probably by more than a few uh, senior officials in the U.S., so this battle was looking terrible for the U.S. side. First off, they are drastically outnumbered. 
Secondly, the area that they're in, Changjin or Chosen as it's often called, was just brutal. It was terrible. The temperature was around negative 30 Fahrenheit. Yikes. Yeah, and because they were outnumbered, surrounded by 120,000 Chinese troops, as we said, uh, which seemed like a death sentence, and the U.S. forces, oh, we should, we should say who they were specifically. Yeah, they were the 1st Marine Division of the U.S. X Corps. Mm-hmm, yeah. So they put out this request for mortar shells to be delivered via airdrop because, again, they can't get them through land sources. They're surrounded. But the problem was uh, the problem was they didn't want to go on an easily interceptable line of communication and request mortar shells because then the enemy forces would know. So they had to use a code word. Yeah, which we've been harping on since the beginning of this episode, and you might have been wondering why. And it was Tootsie Rolls. It was Tootsie Rolls. Tootsie Rolls was the code word for uh, these particular types of mortar shells. But unfortunately, the person that intercepted that request, he didn't have his, like, handy-dandy code book translator with right. him or something. And you'd think that'd be one that, that people would know, though, you know? Right. Mortar shell requests would have been not uncommon, right? I guess not. Maybe I, I'm confused as to why this guy was so confused, but confused he was because he did in fact call in an airdrop. Yeah, he panicked because he was like, I don't know what they're asking for exactly, but they said it was urgent, like life or death. So he, he calls in this airdrop, but what, what, what exactly drops from the air there, Noel? Yeah, it's, and it's not clear exactly how many we're talking, but it was a must have been a quite large shipment um, <laughs> packed. I'm picturing it like parachuted down, packed in like wooden crates of actual facts Tootsie Rolls. Pallets, multiple pallets That's of right. Tootsie Rolls. Pallets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the troops, instead of completely losing all hope, uh, they said, well, we let's... I don't know, let's see what we can do with these, which just sounds such like such a terrible situation. You're surrounded by more than 100,000 people who want you dead. Yeah. You request some sort of ammunition, and all of a sudden you, you get pallets of Halloween candy. You know, when I first started looking into the story, it, mm -hmm. it reminded me a lot of the episode we did about the uh, U.S. naval men who— um, through potatoes mm -hmm. at the uh, Japanese submarine. Yeah, yeah. Submariners, by the way. Oh, not submariners. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks yeah. for writing in. And yet there is a superhero named the Submariner. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. I think that's where we were both coming from. I think that's exactly where we're coming Never from. Never understood why that guy has wings on his feet. He does? Yeah. Is, is he kind of like the precursor to Aquaman? Um, I can't remember who came first, but I would say the, the main differences are that Namor, the submariner submariner can fly so i guess that's why he has the wings on his feet and aquaman can speak with the creatures of the deep he's like the dr doolittle of the sea yeah that's a really good way to put it so i'm picturing them just like chucking these uh these to tootsie rolls at the enemy the marines not the, the, the submariner the and no aquaman. no no that'd yeah. be that'd be strange um both are would be pretty strange but mm -hmm. no that's not what they did they decided to get a little bit more crafty with it um they had a hard time because of the sub-zero temperatures mm -hmm cooking their food and heating their food up. And so they were actually able to, like your story earlier about the pilot who subsisted on Tootsie Rolls for a long time, they were able to use their bodies to get these Tootsie Rolls to warm up to a more pliable, you know, edible edible state and then eat them and they would also you know they could do that in their mouth or what i'm not quite sure why they use their bodies you could put it in your armpits you could still do stuff probably ew 
Yeah. yeah. Well, war is hell. War is hell. Not only that, though, they were able to do some other pretty clever stuff with them, too. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So not only would this stuff become pliable when it was warmed through body heat or in someone's mouth, but it would quickly freeze when it left that warm environment. And so they found, these Marines found that they were able to uh, get a Tootsie Roll pliable and then use it as a type of makeshift weld. They were able to patch bullet holes in vehicles. They were able to patch hoses, other equipment. Now, this is over a period of two weeks, this this battle, uh, the Chosen Reservoir. And the 15,000 men, the Division of Marines, uh, did not leave unscathed. 3,000 were KIA, killed in action. 6,000 were wounded. And thousands had you know, terrible, terrible, terrible frostbite. And they were living on Tootsie Rolls because mm-hmm. I, I believe all the other food was just frozen solid, correct? That's right. So you have to wonder if it's a function of the extreme temperature that allowed a Tootsie Roll to be so useful there. Because ordinarily, like if we were, if we were in a less frigid environment and we tried to patch a hose with a Tootsie Roll that we had chewed on, like that wouldn't work, right? Clearly not. I would think not. Okay, so all that's pretty rough, but there's good news um, because they did uh, persevere um, and they were able to stave off the enemy forces. And despite those casualties and those uh, injuries, um, they ultimately survived a group of them known uh, henceforth as the chosen few. Get it? Mm. C-H-O-S-I-N. Oh, I didn't even catch that, Ben. (laughs) You're kidding. You got that. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So they did. They did manage to survive and not only to survive, but to emerge victorious. And they returned to the U.S. lauded as heroes. And you know what? The Tootsie Roll Company had to love this. Yeah, you'd think so. I'm sure. Do you think they capitalized on it in their marketing materials? I don't know. I didn't find anything no, indicating that. that. That would be a missed opportunity, though, for sure. Maybe they felt it was too exploitative. Well, it's sort of like the potato story where the Idaho Potato Growers Association or whatever <laughs> the, totally made a plaque about it. Uh, the main potatoes? That's it. Excuse yeah, me. The yeah. main potatoes, yeah. So, well, maybe they thought it made their candy look bad. There's also that. That's true. That it was like the last possible thing you would want to eat. And it's literally, you know, you are dying in the frozen wastes and you use their product to plug bullet holes and heat them in your armpits. And, and yeah, just to, I just think to survive. It. I yeah. think that's it. Because it's kind of like with, the, you know, how a lot of soda due to the bicarbonate in it can dissolve things. It's like if someone used Coca-Cola to dissolve something in the midst of war, I'm sure Coca-Cola wouldn't be like, hey, drink this thing that can, you know. Yeah, people use to, like, clear the corrosion on their battery terminals. Right, you know? right. Yeah, no, no, not a good look. So it is a good look for these guys when they return, although the Tootsie Roll Company does not, for one reason or another, capitalize on this story. In the U.S., people were impressed. These folks have used what, side note here, was Frank Sinatra's favorite candy, yeah, wasn't he, like, buried with a bunch of them? Do you think it was a pallet? Yeah, I don't know. I remember we were reading that uh, in a great article on Tootsie Rolls by Jeff Wells. Uh, Jeff mentions that old Blue Eyes himself was buried with Tootsie Rolls, cigarettes, a lighter, and a bottle of Jack Daniels. But we digress. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running, but it it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. To get back on the rails, these guys return to the U.S. As we said, they are lauded as heroes And they were, I don't know, nowadays largely forgotten. This is somewhat of an obscure story, but people still remember it. Yeah, well, in 2011, um, in South Bend, Indiana, they actually did a recreation of this event at the Southwest Michigan Regional Airport, which is in Benton Harbor. So I guess that's near South Bend. This was reported in the South Bend Tribune. And uh, a guy named Don Allsborough, who's the president of a veterans group called Lest We Forget, um, was in charge of this event. And uh, they organized um, an airdrop where thousands of Tootsie Rolls were dropped on the airport um, to commemorate that uh, that that day um, during the Korean War. And Alsbro himself was part of this team, um, the, mm-hmm. the, the unit. And he was actually handed a medal by President Eisenhower himself. And he says here in this article that Eisenhower told him, you must have a body of steel. So, you know. Steel. It's like in terms of 
uh, durability, it's just under Tootsie Rolls, I believe. Yeah, and this guy is is the real deal in terms of heroism. He had already been injured by a grenade, and then while um, one of their machine gun squad leaders was getting treatment, medical treatment, another enemy grenade got lobbed at them, and this guy smothered it with his own body. Oh, one of those. Yeah, yeah, and then he and he survived, and that's where the the you must have a body of steel comment came from. And so we conclude our tale, the strange story of Tootsie Rolls in the Korean War. It seems as if we're, we're generating kind of a theme here, a running series on food and war. But I'm fine with that. You know, I, I think this is an interesting topic. We hope you think it's an interesting topic, too. Uh, let us know if you'd like to hear an episode about the surprisingly somber origin story of Tootsie Rolls. But the show's not over yet. We were talking earlier off air, and you know what we're overdue for, Noel? A little listener mail. Our first letter comes from Kelsey, and it has to do with farts, uh, which is one of our favorite topics uh, of all time. So it says, hey, Ben and Noel and Casey, as a longtime listener of the show, I felt I had to reach out to you after the episode on Roland and professional farting. I do historical reenacting and have a tendency to listen to podcasts while working and sewing dresses. While you were having Casey translate Roland's names from French, it reminded me of one of the biggest mysteries in historical costuming. The p- Help me with this, Casey. The pet en l'air. The pet en l'air. Casey on the case. Third installment. Mid-listener mail. Segment within a segment. So the pet en l'air is a traditional French court dress worn in the 18th century. It is essentially a large gown with a fitted bodice that is jacket length and is the shortened version of the robe à la française. Mm. Casey? La robe à la française. No, oh, you got closer. Casey on the case. <laughs> That's never going to happen for me. Uh, however, no one seems to know where the name comes from, as pet en l'air roughly translates to fart in the air. I can only imagine the name came from a very embarrassing moment in court and the name stuck. Anyways, I'm a huge fan of the show and thought you might enjoy some more flatulence-related history. Kind regards, Kelsey. Thanks so much for writing in, Kelsey. We love a good historical mystery, and this is something that maybe we can also refer to our colleagues on our peer podcast, Dressed. Yeah, and I think we're overdue to have them as guests. Yeah, we could definitely bring them on for a segment. You maybe know, we could do, do one some on... fact genie yeah, stuff. Yeah, whatever, sure. So, also, I <laughs> really appreciate any good fart joke. I was close years back when I was doing um, brain stuff things for audio and video i was terribly close to becoming the fart guy and i was very hesitant to talk about farts at first what do you mean the fart guy i was doing a lot of fart science a lot man. Of fart material mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was going blue <laughs> you're gonna be like mr methane remember him yeah i think mr methane's got his own lane yeah i, I think we should let him be him yeah i don't i, I don't want to take that away that's fair uh unless there's but you know what? If there's a Sergeant Sulphur out there somewhere, you can write to us. We'll give you some airtime. <laughs> we'll record you separately. Uh, we have a, another letter from someone who's been writing to us pretty frequently, and that is Ayumi, who lives in Japan, I believe, and is an English teacher. Ayumi says, hello, gentlemen. After an episode where you both pronounced portmanteau or portmanteau in the way that you were called out on before i made a twitter poll out of curiosity because as i am an english teacher i'm incredibly aware that a lot of words have multiple acceptable pronunciations 
Also, your podcast was not the only one in which I heard this pronunciation. Here are my results. So Ayumi has posted this on Twitter, and there's one portmanteau, spelled T-W-O, and then portmanteau, spelled T-O-W, and did you did you see this, Noel? Did oh, you? I did. Yeah. And, and, I, and first, I was had my my heart set on us being vindicated. <laughs> so the two, the portmanteau, uh, got fourteen percent of the votes, and portmanteau got eighty six percent. Now she continues. She had 72 people vote. She says 72 votes is not a huge sample size, but if I remember correctly from high school statistics class, it's enough of one to say that you are not inherently wrong pronouncing it portmanteau. So you can go either way. Have an excellent day. Regards, Ayumi. And this got me thinking, you guys, we should do more polls. You know, we can go on to our Facebook group. It's true. And do uh, do polls to our heart's content. Mm-hmm. I think we should. And the name of that Facebook group is The Ridiculous Historians, where you can uh, join and become a member and get in on all the polling uh, fun, the, the, the future polling. Mm-hmm. There, isn't any, there isn't any there yet. Not, uh, but, not that we know but of. But soon. Um, you can also send us an email where we are ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. And you can, you know, do the regular Facebook page if you want, which is just Ridiculous History on Facebook. I think we're on Twitter's Ridiculous History as well and Instagram and all the, all the stuff. All, all the hits, all the good ones, all the good ones, uh, and some of the weird ones. We'd also, of course, like to thank our super producer, Casey Pegram, and our research associates, Christopher Hasiotis and Eve Jeffco. Oh, and let's, lest we forget Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Mm-hmm. No. Hmm. Uh, I'm not completely sure how to say goodbye in Korean, but I think you, I think the same casual hello is the same casual goodbye. So, Anyang. Kosio. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.